You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Hey, good morning, church. Morning again. Um, such, it's been such times are refreshing, I feel like, in our church. It was just even during worship feeling like I was getting saved again. So I just have been so refreshed in my soul. And I think that's one of the main aims of the church is that we, we come together and remind ourselves of who we are in the Lord and the work of Christ in our midst and the mission upon us as, as his church, as his body to be representatives in this, in this city, in our region where he's placed us. So um, praise God for what he is doing. We had an exciting week around here, you know, following up on the event uh, that we, many of us went to down at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City uh, we were able to host uh, 50 missionaries right here in Ames as a response to what the Lord did uh, down there in, uh, at Arrowhead Stadium, and we had a blast. We just loved on our city, blessing our community, blessing our neighborhoods. Uh, we were able to hand out over 300 appreciation bags for teachers and administrators in our public schools here in Ames, uh, right down the street of Meeker down the street at Fellows, and then at Ames High School, those three buildings, we just um, ransacked with the love of God, honestly. We went into, into those buildings. We got to pray with many administrators and secretaries. Uh, they were just so open and receptive. And um, we were able to put together some really cool gifts because of the generosity uh, of you all and, um, and then the amazing work of these missionaries, this, this rowdy army of uh, young people. So... We did that. We did home-to-home evangelism all through our neighborhood. We did home-to-home evangelism, really, some really cool testimonies of the Lord meeting people. Um, and really, as we do home-to-home evangelism throughout our neighborhood, which we've done now for, for years, uh, the open invitation is always, or the open door f- for uh, conversation about the gospel is always just an offer of prayer. Very, very few people turn down offers for prayer. And when it's, you know, Given it's, when the offer is given genuinely from our hearts, seeking to serve and to see see what needs are present, the Lord always just soften, softens hearts and, and opens up opportunities to share about the love of Jesus through prayer. It's really that simple. And um, and then thirdly, we got to partner with Wings of Refuge, a ministry that we partner with here at our church, an amazing ministry helping um, ladies be rescued out of. Uh, a life in human trafficking and that, in that world being rescued out of that. They have two homes here in Ames and we got to uh, come alongside them and do some, do some work around their, their properties. And uh, so it was a full week and thank God for Aaron Thompson for doing most of the work to coordinate it all, um, but also for the missionaries and the follow-up from that event down at Arrowhead. Um, Praise God. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. I just have a short message I want to share with you this morning. I know the cynics in the place say, a pastor of the short message, I'll believe it when I see it, but uh, I feel like it's short. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. The Lord is good. The title of my message this morning is, Come to Him, Come to Jesus. The essence of the, the Christian life is that it's a continual coming to Him. And we fail to grow, we fail to mature when we fail to come to Him. 
when we stop allowing our hearts to come to our Father. When we allow distraction or shame or, you know, insert your, um, the thing that detracts you from the love of the Father. When we, when we give in to those things and we fail to come to him, we fail to grow, we fail to mature. So the call upon our life is to come to Jesus. Not just once at that moment of salvation, and this is the language that we're seeing in this, this letter that Peter wrote as he expounds on the gospel, as he preaches the gospel to these believers spread throughout the Roman Empire. He's speaking about salvation, yes, that takes place in a moment of decision when we are born again into a living hope. But he talks about a salvation that we are ever experiencing day to day and that we will also experience when ultimately we are saved in the the age to come. We're saved from the, the judgment of God upon humanity. We're saved from it. So that is the fullness of salvation. And the Lord's will for our lives, for your life, for my life, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, his aim for your life is for you to continually come to him, for your heart to remain tender before him, for you to come to him. I was reminded of a a situation that happened in our home uh, several years ago when we were traveling up to North Dakota to visit visit family. Uh, I was actually speaking at a friend's church as well. And so this is in North Dakota, Southern Canada, that's where we're from, uh, North Dakota. And um, since I was preaching at a church, I left the house early one morning. And I've shared this story before, but I want this to provide kind of a, an imagery and a, a, a analogy for us of um, the call upon us to come to him continually. But I left the house early one morning, that Sunday morning I was gonna go speak at this church just to, to get there early and to prepare my heart. Um, before the Lord, and at the time, my oldest daughter, Lucy, who was two, uh, followed, followed me out of the house, and I didn't know that. She had wandered out of the house and uh, started wandering about the neighborhood. No one else was, was awake in the house at that time. I left, left the house bright and early, and um, the house was full, full of adults, full of kids, but no one knew my daughter wandered out of the house, and she started wandering around the neighborhood she ended up wandering quite the distance away from my parents' house. Um, and it, time continued to, to roll by, hours passed. Uh, around nine o'clock, um, my wife went down to wake up my daughter for church and uh, she found an empty crib, you know, an empty pack and play. And my daughter was nowhere to be found. So panic ensued and my, my, they were looking everywhere in the house. They were looking under beds. They were looking everywhere. They, they, could, they could, and they, they shouted outside. There, there was, my daughter was nowhere to be found. And uh, so I got a phone call. This is a church that had three services. After the first service, I got a phone call that my, my daughter, Lucy, was missing. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I knew. Is she was missing, and we, we said, well, let's call the police. Um, um, my wife called the police, and uh, they said, is, is your daughter Lucy? <laughs> Uh, we, we have Lucy with us. They, they had found Lucy. Some neighbors had found her. And, um, 
And they, they had picked her up. She was having the time of her life, you know, eating Cheerios with the, the police, hanging out, coloring, uh, coloring books at the police station. And uh, she was unfazed by it, which is like, you know, as a parent in those situations, you're really hoping that like your, your, your kid is just like scarred by this, by this scenario. But she had, she had quite the time with it. Um, and it actually took us hours to actually get her back. Um, just in terms of the, the due diligence that the, the system had in place uh, in order for us to like uh, prove and demonstrate that we are who we are, we say we are, it took us hours. We didn't get her back till three o'clock that afternoon. So it was just a um, horrific number of hours of waiting. But that kind of oblivious, naive, ignorant wandering of my daughter provides a picture of oftentimes the way we wander through life, away from the goodness of the Father, from the provision of the Father. We are just wandering about, really oblivious to the potential perils of wandering away from the protection and the provision of the Father. And the call upon our life in the, <clears throat> the place of strength, the place of um, sustenance and protection for us is in this place of continually coming to him, staying close to his heart. And when we harden our hearts to that, we begin to wander to all sorts of scary places. And whenever I'm reminded of that story, I just think of all the different scenarios of what could have gone wrong, but she happened to wander into the right, to the right, near the right homes. And she, she found help. But that's not the way it generally works in this life. When we wander away from the father, and we end up finding ourselves a long ways away from that, that intimate relationship that we know to be real in Christ. So I want us this morning to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, for us to be drawn to come to him. The Lord wants to exchange our identity, not just in one moment, but from day to day. That's what he purchased for us on the cross. And the key is coming to him. Wallowing in immaturity is a failing to come to him. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And if you remember, we had just talked about how we were born again into a living hope. That was the, the exchange that took place the work of Jesus Christ, you are born again. The old man is dead. Now you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you place your faith in the sufficiency of Jesus, you're born again into a, a living hope. It's a, it's a real thing. Right now, it's, it's living. It's a living hope. It's tangible. And then he goes on to describe our identity as obedient children. So this is then his continual follow-up of that. So put away all that stuff. Malice, And most of this, what he's talking about is interrelational. It's, it's in the, the stuff of life in relationship with other people. That word malice can be translated hostility. Put, put that away. Put away that deceit of trickery. Like those deceptive ways. That kind of primal instinct in all of us to, to trick our way through this life the sleight of hand, to get the upper hand on those around us. Put it away. Put away hypocrisy. Hypo that word hypocrisy is just, 
chock full of imagery of essentially like living this scripted line, like just stick to the lines of the theatrics, of the masks, of impressing people and putting on fronts to people. He says, put hypocrisy away and put envy away and all slander. And when he says put it away, the language there is actually similar to the language he uses, or in Greek language would be used to be said of stripping off clothes. Just strip away that old stuff, put it off. You are now clothed in Christ. In verse two, he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So like newborn infants, long, there's a command there, long for the pure spiritual milk, long to be nourished by the sustaining work of Jesus and Jesus alone. The revelation of Jesus, be sustained by that. Allow that to be the thing that feeds you, nourishes you, just like an infant. Naturally, they don't, the, the infant doesn't even need to, to be trained to do that. The infant just uh, innately understands that it needs to be sustained by its mother. So like that, let, allow, allow that to be the default of your life, to be sustained by Jesus. The pure, spiritual, unadulterated, that's what that word unspiritual means, or that word spiritual means unadulterated milk, that by you may grow up into salvation. So that's what I was talking about before. There is a salvation that we experience when, when we are given a clean slate, our conscience is clean before our holy God. And there is a salvation that we experience as we mature in the things of the Lord. We are growing up into salvation. We're actually being formed into the image of Christ. And then verse three, I believe is one of the keys of the morning. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so the counter of that is also true. If you have not tasted that the Lord is good, then start there. Start with an experience of the Lord's goodness. Then you will actually continue to go to him for, uh, and you'll long for that nourishment for your soul. And then you will put off the malice and the deceit and the hypocrisy and envy and slander if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So when there is a lack of your understanding of the goodness of the Lord, replenish that revelation over your life, that your, your understanding of the Lord's goodness. Goodness is in, the goodness of the Lord is in the very fabric of creation. Remember that was the marker, that, the descriptor that Jesus declared over every stage of the creation story. As he, as he created the, the land of the earth and the, 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 the birds of the air and the, the animals of the sea, he said these things are good. When he, when he came to humanity and created man, man and woman in his image, in his image he created them. He said it is very good. It's the, we see it in the very fabric of creation, the goodness of God. So we, it, just, it just takes us opening our eyes to the world around us to bask 
in the goodness of the Lord. And then you fast forward through the redemptive story and you get the ultimate revelation of the goodness of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And so now our life in God is a response to the goodness of God. That is now our, the invitation that you and I have every single day is to respond to the goodness of the Lord. A.W. Tozer said that as a sailor locates his position on the sea by shooting the sun, you know, locating the sun, so we may get our moral bearings by looking at God. We must begin with God. So in this pursuit of growing in the Lord, of maturing in the Lord, of growing up into salvation, start by looking at the Lord and understanding his goodness, his goodness being revealed to you and that allowing your heart to be reset into a place where you long to be nourished by him and him alone. So when we find that that plan is getting aborted in your life, that, that you're not longing to be nourished by the Lord and by him alone, and you're finding those, the sins that Peter listed there, malice and deceit and hypocrisy, what do you do? Go back to the beginning. Go back to the goodness of God. Go back to looking at Jesus and his sufficient goodness over your life. The revelation of Jesus being the ultimate revelation of God's goodness. I was reminded of what Bob Gladstone recently said, where he said, victimhood is the opposite of sonship. Victimhood says that God is not a good father. Yet God is a good father. And that makes it impossible to be a victim. So in this world that celebrates and accentuates victimhood, the opposite is true in the gospel. There's no room for victimhood in the gospel because it's embedded, it's rooted in a revelation of, the good, of a good father, of the goodness of God. So when we find our, our, our maturity waning, when we find our, our growth waning, go back to the beginning. Root yourself in the goodness of God. And if you want to know what the goodness of God looks like, look at Jesus. Let's continue to read. It says, as you come to him. Remember the title of the message was, come to him. This is the descriptor of the Christian life. As you come to him, not just once, not at an altar, at a church, once, not at just an evangelistic crusade, but as you live a life that comes to Jesus. This one who is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This one who is the pearl of great price, who is the treasure buried in the field. He is the living stone. It's this, this like nuanced like paradox of the creator God taking on flesh and coming and walking amongst men, but many not recognizing him as such. He is the living stone, but the one who is rejected by men. And in the sight of God, the one who is chosen and precious. So he is the living stone and he's the one we come to. In verse five, it says, you yourselves 
like living stones. So we look like him. He's a living stone. And we also are being called here living stones. We are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This one verse is just chock full with about four different word pictures. So we probably won't exhaust this verse today. But Jesus is the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, precious and chosen. And we ourselves are called to be living stones, being built up into what? A stone that stands by itself in a field? No, to be interwoven and interdependent upon other, other living stones. It's called the body of Christ. To be built up and to be what? A habitation for the presence of God. We are being built up into something to be a spiritual house. And that is our main aim. That has been our main aim in this church community for the last few years. The Lord has been recalibrating us to be about that one thing, to center ourselves around the presence of God, to not be about any certain personality or a building or a brand or a program or certain giftings or spiritual gifts or styles, but to be, for it to be about that one thing, that distinctive of the people of God, the presence of God. That is what he is building us up into, is to be a spiritual house marked by the glory of God, that when people step into our midst, they see the beauty of Jesus. That we ourselves, when we come together, there is this sense in the air that God is here. That's what he's building us up into, is to be a spiritual house. Since I'm quoting Bob Gladstone, I'll throw out another one here. You know, we tend to think about visitation. This is what Bob Gladstone said. We, we tend to think about, think in terms of visitation, but the Lord thinks in terms of habitation. We love those moments of just sweeping encounter and visitation, but the Lord's greatest aim for us is to build us up into a spiritual house where he comes and lives in our midst. And if we just think back to the, the, the life of Israel before Jesus stepped foot on the earth, and as, as they, you know, uh, they wandered in the wilderness and they set up their, their camps. They would set up around the tent of meeting, around the tabernacle, around Moses' ta- tabernacle. The centerpiece of their community was, was meant to be the presence of God, the glory of God. As you fast forward into the, into the kings of Israel and the, the reign of King David, he wanted the presence of God to be the, the focal point of the house of Israel, for it to be the glory and the beauty of God, and so it is for us. Not a building, but a spiritual house. Not a physical building, a spiritual house that is so attractive to the manifest presence of God that people can't help but see Jesus clearly in our midst. He says we're called to be a holy priesthood, and we'll get into this here in a little bit. Later in verse nine, it's part of our identity. We're we're a spiritual house, but we're also ushered into the priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
It's all only acceptable because of Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't do anything, any spiritual act to earn favor from the Lord. It's all through Jesus Christ. It's through that faith in his sufficiency, in his work, that these acts of response of love become a, a love offering for the Lord, to the Lord. Let's keep reading in verse six. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion's stone a cornerstone, chosen and precious. So he is a living stone. We are, a li- we are living stones, all of us. If you call Jesus Lord, you are a living stone, but he is the chief cornerstone and he's precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And verse eight, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That was the, the irony of Jesus' arrival. Was for some, he became salvation, and for others, he became judgment. Some stumbled over, over his radical, reckless love. And others were swooned by it. They were, they were wooed by it. They were drawn by it. And they came and they threw themselves at his feet in adoration and, and worship. And they saw him for who he was the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But for others, they saw him as an affront on their way of life. They saw him as an affront on their religious system, on their nicely curated way of you know, garnering honor and riches for themselves. Jesus was a, an attack on those things. He came to tear those things down and So these people stumbled over Jesus to their own demise because they were so blinded by their own hypocrisy, by their own pride. And they disobeyed the word. It says, as they were destined to do, I would encourage you not to get, to read into that too much. It's not so much that Jesus chose those individuals to be destined to their own destruction, as much as it's the inevitability of our, uh, the inevitability of our own rebelliousness in the midst of a, a world that's uh, gifted with free will choice and love. It's inevitable, it was appointed to them that they would disobey. Verse nine, it says, but you are a chosen race of the bloodline of Jesus. He's not talking about you know, ethnic race or race like we, we think of it. He's talking, he's using imagery of the bloodline of Jesus that was initiated. It's the people of God. We are a distinct people now. A distinct people group marked by Jesus. A distinct tribe. He says a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I'll just quickly read you a portion of scripture that Peter is referencing in Exodus chapter 19. 
as God is setting apart himself a people and the people of Israel, this is what he speaks over Israel. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. He's gonna mark these people as his own. All the earth is his. We said that earlier. It all belongs to him. He's marking these people as his own. In verse six, he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. That's what God spoke to Moses. The, the destiny for Israel was that they would be a kingdom of priests. Yes, they had the Levitical priesthood. They, have the, they had the certain tribe that was set aside to, to serve in the house of God. But even the Levites, they were meant to point, point all of Israel to their, their duty as to be worshipers of the Lord and to make the presence of God the focal point of their entire nation. And then to be these ones that were like mediators to the entire world to bring healing to the nations. That was the role of Israel. The entire nation of Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, to be ones who served in the presence of God that also mediated to the world around them. And so it is for us as we've been grafted into Israel. The church has not replaced Israel, but we've been grafted into God's storyline that, that he started through Israel. And the Lord's covenant with Israel still stands, but praise God that you and I have been grafted into it. And that that identity as a priesthood unto the Lord, you and I have been called into that to be a royal priesthood. For there to be this, this kingdom of priests that the Lord has set apart for himself in this day to be a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And part of that priesthood that God has destined you and I for is to be ones that serve in the presence of God day to day, not just Sunday. When I, when I talk about that, I'm not talking about just Sunday mornings. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday as well, to be ones who are attentive to the presence of God. You know, that language that, that God used in the book of Exodus to talk about in the book of Leviticus, to talk about the role of the priesthood, to be ones that that served in the presence of God. It's the same language that God used to describe uh, the role of Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the same role. That was our, our destiny from the beginning upon humanity, to be ones who, who were attentive to the presence of God, that served and were, they guarded the presence of God. That's part of our image bearing, is to be ones who walked in that sort of communion with the Lord. And so that's our role as children of God not just Sunday mornings, but Monday through Saturday. And it's from that place of an awareness of the presence of God that we can proclaim his excellencies well to a world around us. And I believe the world can see through any of the um, like fabricated superficialities of our preaching to the world. They can tell if what we're saying, if there's any sort of conviction there. They can tell if we're bored with God. Our children sure can tell if we're bored with the Lord. But when we've come from his presence, when we've caught a glimpse of his beauty, our kids can tell there's a flicker in, in our eye. There is a fire coming out of us of passion and true love. 
and the world as well, they'll attest there's something different about these ones. These are ones who have been with Jesus. So that is what it means to be a royal priesthood, to be ones who are attended to the presence of God. And from that place of being attended to the presence of God, we proclaim the excellencies of him to the world around us. Verse 10, I'll, I'll Scott, come to the keys. Where is Scott? There he is. Once you were not a people, verse 10, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's, he's bringing us back to where he started, the goodness of God. It's all rooted in the goodness of God. And it comes full circle. That's not who we've always been, but praise God that he plucked me out of where, he, where I was, out of darkness. And he had mercy upon my, upon my life. That now I can actually come into the presence of God. I can look upon him, upon his beauty. So verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. That's the same language he used at the beginning of the book, describing, yes, many of them were literal exiles, but using that language to describe how we're meant to interact in this world in which we live to live much more as temporary residents than permanent citizens, much more as sojourners and exiles than ones who are building up these empires for ourselves in this world. No, we're just passing through. Therefore, abstain from the, the glimmer and the glitz of the world around us and the, the shimmer of all the things that are trying to catch our attention around us. Abstain from those things because we're just passing through. Verse 12, it says, keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is, this is radical language for Peter be, to be speaking as he is speaking to primarily Gentiles. Most scholars agree that Peter is preaching primarily to Gentile, primarily Gentile churches, ones that have been um, scattered because of persecution. And yet he is speaking to born Gentiles as though they truly have been grafted into Israel because he speaks about unbelievers as those that are Gentiles now. We have been grafted in truly into the household of God. It's not a semantics thing. It's not a wordplay. You truly have been grafted into the household of God. Not to replace Israel, but to come into the household, to come into the fold, to be called part of God's family. Yeah, there's so, so much in here. I want, us to, I want us to close by this. And in summary, this is, this is where we've been. It's from the goodness of God that we look for his nourishment from him. And it's when we're, we're nourished by him that we are built up into a habitation for his presence. And it's from that place that we actually can be accurate representatives of him in this world. It starts with his goodness we're nourished by him, we're built up into a spiritual house and then we can represent him well in the world around us. If you'd all stand to your feet.
I want us to come to Jesus. I want us to come to the Lord. And for some this morning, that may mean for the first time you need to come to Jesus. For others in this place, you've found your heart oftentimes hesitant to come to the Lord. You find yourself wandering away from the goodness of the Lord, like my daughter Lucy, wandering to other things, looking in other places away from his protection. Come to Jesus. I say this with all tenderness and patience in my heart. This has been my own story. There's this natural reaction in us to be heaped with shame. If we make a mistake, if we sin against the Lord, we turn against him, we we turn to other things. That was the story in the garden. When they sinned against God, they tried to hide from God. They They attempted an impossibility to hide from God. I remember when I was a kid, I bold-faced lied with my dad there in the room. And my dad knew it and I knew that he knew it. And my response was not to look to my dad and apologize, dad, would, would you ever forgive me? Instead, I ran out of the room. I was there with my friends in high school and I bold-faced lied and I just felt so full of shame. Our human, our natural human reaction is to flee to run away from one of whom we can never run away from truly, to hide, to hide from God's presence. When in reality, the remedy, the answer is for us to come to him, to turn to him, to find mercy, to come to his goodness and once again be nourished and sustained and healed and made whole, to grow in likeness, to look more and more like him. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.